I'm not wearing any pants. Film at 11. ABC Network premiere. Superman. Starring Christopher Reeve in the title role. With Marlon Brando, Glenn Ford, Gene Hackman, Valerie Farrar, and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Easy, miss. I've got you. You, you've got me? Who's got you? The Man of Steel. The world's first superhero. Tonight's special presentation of Superman is brought to you by... Two! Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. No, blah, blah, blah. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Hey, look! Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, Dr. Horace Superman. No, it's Superman, the movie. The movie. It's our big, somewhat, although not numerical, but it's an anniversary episode of Comics Monthly Monday, and this time we're going to cover not a comic, but an iconic comic movie, Superman the Movie. The grandpappy of them all. Yeah, well, there had been comic book movies before this, but this was the first blockbuster, crazy, studio-made comic movie, and to this day, one of, if not arguably the best most successful comic movies today. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb, and this is my very first and probably my most prominent and important. No, I'm gonna go out on a limb and just say there's no arguably about it. The winner and still champion Superman the movie. I, I still think this is the greatest one. It set the bar by which all other comic book, especially superhero movies, are measured. And uh, 
you know, there's some that I think maybe have come close over the years, but yeah, I this is still definitely the the, the best one for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would have to agree, and I might not have agreed with you if I hadn't watched it a couple times recently in preparation for the show. Mm-hmm. But both times, and I and uh, we're uh, just to tell everybody we're doing the KCOP. Um, version of it, which is just like the, one of the extended television versions, and I guess it's the one with the most added footage, you know, so it's the mo- longest sort of run you can find of right. Superman the movie. And uh, so it's pretty long. It takes up two DVDs, and uh, both viewings of it, I was just thoroughly enjoying it from beginning to end, you know, uh, just eating it up. Which is funny because, oh, by the way, I'm Chris Honeywell, and my co-host, Scott Gardner. That's me. Jumping right into the, it's just like, we didn't even wait for the bell to ring, we just started swinging. That's this it. topic. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll start out sort of how we've been starting out these movie uh, shows by sort of talking about when we first saw the movie and, and uh, what that was like. So when, so when did you see it in the movie theater? I did see it in the movie theater. Um, my dad, you know, I, my dad was awesome when it when it came to like going to the movies and take. I mean, he yeah. took me to all the great stuff, you know. Yeah. And again, you're know, right up there, like Star Wars and, and so many of the other you know greats that I saw as a kid. He did take me to see Superman, and it was me and my dad and uh, Randy, who you know I've talked about in other shows. And my best friend of the time, which sadly wasn't you yet because, uh, you know, I'm sure you and I had met and we knew each other. Right. But uh, it was, do you remember, I don't know that you ever met Scott Robinson. Did you ever meet Scott Robinson? Sure, I've met him before. Oh, okay. It was was Scott Robinson. Scott Robinson was this kid that I I met when we lived in, in a certain apartment complex in Carthage. And he was just, you know, a kid that I hung around with. And... He come from kind of a, a a poor family, you know. There was a lot of kids, and something was up with the mom and dad. I don't know. One of them didn't work, or might have been uh, something was up. Yeah, something was up there. Yeah. But anyway, they were you know they were just like one of those poor families, and and my dad really really thought the world of, of Scott Robinson. And I remember so you know when the opportunity came up to ever do anything nice, you know, like treat him to the movies or something like that, he would do it. And what's funny is I've got two really distinct memories of going to see Superman, which is getting a tour of the projectionist area. Actually, I just told this story over on Alternate Reality not long ago. But uh, you know, we got a tour of the whole projectionist area, which was awesome. You know, I'd never seen anything like that. I didn't know how movies worked. You know, to me, it was I was a kid. You know, movies were magic. You went in and it was just shown up on the screen. We got to go in and see the all the equipment and everything. I remember looking through the little window where the movie is projected out at the exact moment when Superman catches the helicopter. And it just lit a fire under my child imagination. You know what I mean? And it's an image I've never lost. It's, it's always stuck with me. And the other image that's always stuck with me is my dad... You know, here he had treated me and, and my two friends to this movie and everything. And, you know, Scott, it was such a treat for him to be, you know, really treated out. And, you know, my dad bought him a giant Coke and a 
giant thing of popcorn and you know he got all this stuff for everybody and we went and sat down and the movie didn't even start yet and Scott spilled everything that my dad had bought him on the floor and my dad was fucking pissed man and I'll never forget you know he just here was you know like one of the neighbor kids you know so he couldn't like really beat him or yell at him or anything but he wanted to so he was so pissed off it was funny I mean if you if you knew my dad the story would be even funnier because well you know my dad Chris I mean you know oh yeah got the whole Charlie Manson thing going on (laughs) people are scared of my dad so here's this kid looking like in mortal terror because he just dropped all this stuff my dad just bought him and my dad's giving him this look like I'd like to just beat your ass right now (laughs) so also oh yeah well also I remember do you remember when movies like big event movies you would come out of the movie into the lobby and you could actually buy merchandise from the movie oh, sure. in the, the lobby or a t-shirt yeah. or something sure and I couldn't tell you what else was on the table at the time but they had the boxes and I can remember the box to this day it was a it was just a black box like like today like It'd be the size of what you'd buy a mug in. Like if you bought a souvenir mug, it'd be about that size. And it was a black box. It had green lettering and something or other on it. And it was for pieces of kryptonite. And I begged, oh, I wanted kryptonite. Oh, dad, dad, gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. And he bought it. I have no idea what he paid for it. And I'm proud to say it's it's right here. It's right here. Here, listen, you hear this? Those are my kryptonite rocks, baby. I know what those kryptonite rocks look like, man. I remember those. Those have been in your room since I can remember. They're glow in the dark. Yep, they still glow in the dark, too. And they're beautiful because they're not like solid green. They're kind of like a white glowing paint covered with like tinges of green. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great. They're great. And I remember when, you know, we, I would stay over at your house and like going to bed at night, there'd be like glowing chunks of kryptonite. I used to read comics by my glow-in-the-dark kryptonite funny. rocks. I'd sit under the covers. You know, that that's such a cliche, that image of kids under their covers with, like, a flashlight or something reading yeah, comics. I did the, that shit. The rock covered with mildly radioactive paint. <laughs> yeah. Probably hoping that it would ruin your eyes so you'd have to get glasses like Clark Kent. Well, that was before I come down with the cancer and they had to amputate my hands and I've got these hook things now, which, you oh, know, you got the hooks. when it had to wipe my ass, but, you know. Oh, you got the hooks. Oh, yeah. you know, folks, for years he just had flippers and I've been telling him you should get the hooks. And yeah, cool, man. <laughs> They're good for catching <laughs> fish, too. So, anyway, well, well, that's a nice tangent on <laughs> your first viewing of Superman. Superman. I... I don't remember who I went with, and, you know, the, I remember, just like Star Trek, the motion picture, I remember intensely the beginning of it, you know, a big, long, majestic beginning with letters streaking out from space and, you know, the music playing and stuff like that, and I remember, just like Star Trek, the motion picture, there was just a lot of things that I didn't appreciate about it. Like, I was kind of upset that Lex Luthor wasn't a serious villain, that he was kind of comedy relief, you know, that he was kind of a joker, and he was less of comedy than Otis and Miss Teschmacher, but he was still, you know, comedy relief. Right. And and you didn't get to see him bald until the very end, and that, I thought that was kind of dumb. 
and I, I just thought it was kind of long. I didn't like the beginning part. I thought it was kind of cheesy and felt out of place. But now when I watch it, man, it's just the opposite. Like, I always thought, well, Marlon Brando just sort of did a walk-on and collected some money, and it was just, you know, kind of like they just put his name in there for... But he made a great Jor-El. He was, he was majestic. When he and his wife were... You know, when all the other Kryptonians were talking... They were just sort of squabbling and arguing like real people. But when he was and his wife were talking to each other, it was almost poetic. It didn't rhyme, but it was it was very poetic dialogue and conveyed a lot of meaning and was just really cool. And now, like the longer it is, the better. The more of it, and I love I love the comedy aspect of it now. I love it. The comedy aspect of it is one of the most fun things about the whole movie to me now. I don't know. As I get older, the kiddie comic book movie becomes better and better to me than as a kid. It's strange, I guess. I guess. Well, I, I want to touch on, you brought up an interesting point. I, I feel the same way when it comes to Luthor as comedy, uh, comedy relief. Right. I felt that way as well. And one of my really recent rewatches of this movie something jumped out at me that one of my favorite scenes of this movie has always been and it's hard to say favorite scene because i love this movie if 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 i haven't said it before this is my favorite movie not just my favorite comic book movie or superhero movie this is just my all-out favorite movie i love this movie so much it's just great but anyway one of my favorite scenes is where Superman opens the lead box and it's a total gotcha. And even in the moment when Luthor is going gotcha, it's Gene Hackman. He's got the big grin and he's very much still in comedy mode. Yeah. But the next time you watch this movie, watch Gene Hackman after Superman opens the lead box because he slowly goes from comedy cut up don't take me too serious Lex Luthor to by the time he tosses Superman in the water he's the grim he's reaper. scary yeah he he's actually gotten very dark you know the whole thing about you know mind over muscle and you know I've spared no expense to make you feel right at home he's still trying to deliver the line in a light tone but it's it's like someone smiling at you as they stick the knife in. He's very, He's very sick dark. And twisted, as like yeah. Miss Teschmacher said, "Sick, you're sick." Well, I think that that scene wouldn't work near as well, and wouldn't have always given me the chills that it does every time I watch it. If he had just been flat out villain Lex Luthor through the entire movie, because he got True. you into a comfort zone of looking at him as kind of not ridiculous but just kind of as not a serious scary villain threat more of the funny villain more of the the keystone cops villain or something when he suddenly turns it's that much more jarring yeah that's that's a good point i, I thank you i i do have them every now and again I need yeah, to get out well, a calendar and actually mark them down when that happens. Yeah, well, you know, Gene Hackman is just an incredible actor. You know, this is yes. filled with... And it's really funny when you see the credits at the beginning, you know, and see who's credited first and in order and stuff. It's just really funny, you know, before you finally see Christopher Reeve and, and right. all that. It's, it's just funny, you know, all the positioning and, you know, trying to... 
sell it with the big actors. You know, they had a li- they had a little marketing going from all angles with it. To, and there was a big push on this movie, and there was a lot of hype on it, and it was a big deal. It was coming, and then it came out, and I remember there were a few sort of negative reviews, but for the most part, it was, uh, you know, it was reviewed rather well. It was, it just, the the. I remember you heard a lot of complaints about it being a little overlong, and I remember Siskel and Ebert, I think it was, that, you know, they were like, well, do you really believe a man can fly? Well, yes and no. <laughs> Not all the time, but yeah, pretty much yeah. Huh. That's funny, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen, I, I'd be interested if you could actually find that on YouTube, their review, because I've never seen yep, it. You probably and- can. You can probably just go Siskel and Ebert, Superman, and you'll probably find all the Superman movies. The, all those Siskel and Ebert reviews are all over YouTube. I'll promise the listeners that I'll try to do that <laughs> because I've already got a, uh, a a list of some links that I'm going to put up in connection with this show, and uh, so I'll see if I can find that and put that link up as well. You know, in our in our forum and our you know specific thread for this episode. You, you had mentioned negative reviews, though, and it's funny because the only negative reviews I've ever seen or, or heard or read or anything have all been, you know, well after the movie, you know, yeah. has established its legend. I don't remember any it's at the time, but yeah, I mean, griping it. It was pretty universally well received. Oh yeah, that was my impression. Out. That I, it was. I think people kind of picked on Marlon Brando for being, you know, collecting such a huge paycheck and getting top billing when he's only in the first part of the movie and just sort of... But, you know, those scenes, I think he brings something to it. And, you know, when he and his wife are talking, it's like the gods on Mount Olympus, you know? Right. You know, making plans for their you know, son's <laughs> life amongst mortals. It's funny you should say that because you know what I just watched not long ago was... Um, uh, do you remember Clash, Clash of, of the, the Titans? Titans? And when Ray I was Harryhausen. watching... Superman in preparation for this I thought of that that's so weird right. that you say that because I thought wow this actually reminds me of that scene with uh, with Sir Lawrence Olivier as sure. Zeus and all. oh yeah same, totally you know, sa- same deal in the flowing robes and speaking in formal you know prose English and you know and with grave mortal you know, things going on, their world's about to explode, you know, and they're going to die, so they're trying to, like, at least save their son without alerting the council. It's... A lot gets communicated. And you get to see that part that I remember we used to just listen to when we'd listen to the tape over and over and laugh our ass off. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's when Zod goes, you will kneel before me one day, Jor-El. <laughs> you, and someday... Your, Your ass! ass. <laughs> I always thought that's what he said, and it wasn't until I got this on an official DVD and could watch it with the with the subtitles, subtitles that I realized that he said "Your heirs," but I always said thought he said his ass, and I was like, "That makes no sense," but it's really funny. Your ass. Oh yeah, we used to laugh and go, "Oh, what? How is this ass gonna kneel? Was he, <laughs> was he talking like ghetto? And your ass is gonna kneel, Joel." <laughs> Well, you know, the the one negative that you know that that I can remember that always bugged me that I heard you know the one negative review 
and I've heard it from a couple different reviewers, and I want to see that Leonard Malton might have been one of them, who I respect him very much, although I don't always see eye to eye with him, but is that this movie is very overblown, especially, you know, the, the whole beginning sequence up until he actually, you know, is Clark in Metropolis at the Daily Planet, that the whole setup is overblown and my reaction is is still the same which is are, are you fucking kidding me yeah exactly I mean, so what uh, <laughs> yeah i mean this is i mean this is superman you you don't get much more americana mythos legend right. than superman right. and i mean people want to get it right yeah they, and they so, hired mario puzo the author of the godfather to write the the screenplay you know right and so I, 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 I throw that criticism right out the window. Yeah. It's completely ridiculous. It, it couldn't to me. be overblown. Uh, you know, it couldn't be overly overblown. You know, the more overblown it is, I guess if that makes any sense, the better. You know, it's. It, I mean, that's. Look at the topics. You know, it's a. It's somebody whose planet is destroyed, and he's the last survivor, and you know, goes oh, to yeah. Earth and. And it becomes basically, you know, a semi-Christ-like overman-type figure to, you know, fighting crime and has learned this whole philosophy about it and lives by it, you know. And, uh, boy, that's a lot of... and, And to fit all that origin and a story to get him in action and to to introduce your villain and, you know, get all that in that movie is quite a task. So it's a long movie, but it moves along, you know. Oh it yeah. Can't, it just can't stay slow for any length of time because there's too much story to tell. Well, not to, you know, not to mention the fact that this is really three movies. And I've heard this movie described right. as a three-act play. Yes. I agree with that to a point, but I don't think it's even so much a three-act play that it's really three distinct movies that are linked, which is you've got a science fiction tale of the death of a planet in the in the beginning, the whole Krypton and sequence, which is coming to Earth. Yeah, you yeah. know, which is entirely yeah, exactly. You know, it, but that's shot very much as a, a an alien, you know, not at all Earth-like. Yeah. Science fiction movie, like you say, you know, the death Everything's of a planet. Based and, and on an crystals there, and, yeah, and then this, the, you know, it changes to very much that that hero's quest, right? Thing that we were talking about in relation to Star Wars, where you know the the young man grows up and realizes that he has this bigger destiny. You know, the whole part where he stands in the in the wheat field, and right. you know, I have to leave and. That to me, I see that as the Luke Skywalker moment in this movie. You know where where that's the turning point. Well, it's also the point where they can capture the feel of the comics when Superman first came out from that time period too. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of explained why he was around in the 30s and then all of a sudden he's back in the 80s and how that sort of worked out. Right. You know, vaguely, it doesn't really literally explain it but you know it has a happen so you get that feel for the old town the old time small town and you know the 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 way the kids dress and so it feels like the old school you know superman the, the beginnings of superman 
right. in, in that whole section and long sweeping panoramic shots of farmland and you know him discovering his feats and showing off and impressing himself and discovering new things it's great it's and uh you know the scene where he uh is seen by a young Lois Lane was a nice little that sort of, that sort of a, that sort of scene was new in movies in those days. The sort of little self-referential things. So when you saw it in Superman, it was really really witty. It was just like, oh, oh, oh that's Lois Lane, huh? But, well, uh, one of the reasons that I like this particular version so much, you know, speaking of the KCOP version, which right. you know, after the break, I'm going to to get into that a little bit more about exactly what is the KCOP version, because I know that there's listeners going KCOP. What is he talking about? But in the KCOP version, that l- scene with young Lois Lane is actually extended a little bit to where we go inside the train. And the little girl speaks and says, you know, there's a little boy out there ran as fast as a train. Now, the woman that shushes her or, you know, kind of humors her was the original Lois Lane from the Superman TV show with with George Reeves. Well, actually, she was the second Lois Lane, the the one that most people remember. Noel Neal, I think is her name. And then the guy sitting across from her that, you know, you assume is her father that tells her, you know, Lois, please read your book. That is no other than Kirk Allen, the very first on-screen Superman from the old serials back in whatever year, you know, the 40s or whenever when that was. But I thought that was amazing that those veteran actors were brought back, even though it's just a little bit sequence and Kirk Allen actually ended up cut out of the the, theatrical (laughs) version. I just thought that was really cool, you know, that they brought them back for that. Yeah, and... And then it changes into the quote unquote modern times, you know, <laughs> modern times when it was when it was put out. But yeah, three and uh, you know, I think the the modern story is a little bit longer than the other two. But oh the yeah. The other two are about you know the same length. Maybe you know the middle part being a little longer than the first part. But you're right, it is. It's it, it and it sort of that sort of sums up all the different elements of Superman too, you know. Right. His his origin, his philosophy and him in action. Right. And all the characters and all in one movie that was you know, fantastic. And of course at the same time they were filming Superman too. So, you know, Richard Donner had quite a quite a project on his hands, you know. He was filming a lot of Superman story all at once. And I think that worked out for the best. I think that worked out really, 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 really well. And uh, I think more of his vision was able to be brought through, you know, for both movies, but especially for the first one because sure. he could see where it was all going. And somehow I think doing them both together really benefited the first one where he could see the, the, the bigger picture. I don't know if that... Right. No, if that makes sense, but oh sure, because you could start introducing things in the first Superman that are going to have significance in the second one. Payoff, and, yeah, and, and are yeah, and are you know going to be little hints as or foreshadows and stuff like that. So you can add a lot of layers by doing that. Plus, you have all these great actors. You might as well use them while you got them. Get them as long as you can and use them the whole time. So then you got Gene Hackman and. And all that, and I just want to say, hats, 
I just love Ned Beatty's performance in this. <laughs> I, I I wasn't a fan of it when I was a kid. I thought no, he was just a bumbling parody. Now that I watch it, and you know, and I've seen Ned Beatty in a lot of other different movies and dramatic roles and Deliverance, which Come makes on, you never are. see Ned we Beatty are. the same again, especially if you saw Superman before Deliverance, which I did. So it's just like Otis. Oh, oh, poor Otis. But um, yeah, he's just great. He's great physical comedy, great verbal comedy. He, he, it's he just wears the role very perfectly. And even and with these great actors, even when they're doing broad comedy, you know they're adding their little subtleties. And you know Otis will show us little flashes of intelligence. Or you'll actually see the gears just sort of grinding in his head, you know, while he tries <laughs> to figure something out. And he's a perfect foil for Luther because, you, you know, Luther is just watching him and disgusted. But at the same time, somehow he's like tied to him. You know, why does, you know, he's always musing in this movie. Why do I surround myself with these idiots? Yeah, I could just go on all day about the subtleties of how people pronounce Miss Teschmacher's name, <laughs> and you know, the, you know, you got Luther with the way he he either is, has the barking Miss Teschmacher, sort of the affectionate one, and when Otis says it, it's just like this humble Miss Teschmacher, and uh, when Superman says it, it's just completely respectful and you know, pure Boy Scout style. Well, oh, thank you, Miss Teschmacher. Just, I don't know. It was a brilliant bit of writing to, instead of having her go by her first name, which was what Eve, I think. Was it Eve Teschmacher? Did they ever say? I don't remember. Gosh, that's I can't believe that I don't know that. But I, I honestly don't know that. So, I think it is Eve. So, something makes me think it's Eve Teschmacher, but that just that she's called Miss Teschmacher, you know, by everybody, even by her boyfriend. And, you know, you see that she's very intelligent. She's not as intelligent maybe as Luther. Maybe she doesn't believe she is, but she's very intelligent. But, no, you know, to Luther, nobody's as smart as him. And uh, uh, they're just all brilliant performances. And Miss Teschmacher, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she does uh, it for you. They took Well, they took special care to take care of dad in that movie and you know they've got her in a bikini <laughs> and they've got the scene with the with the sergeant pumping her breasts you know giving her Larry Hagman her, was that Larry Hagman yeah sure as hell is oh wow giving her free JR yeah, yeah. and yep. you know giving her artificial respiration and it's uh, there's some there's some fairly adult humor in there too. Yeah, there is. Now you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I, I have a confession. I never thought Valerie Perrine was a particularly attractive woman. She's got a great body, but she's got the wolf face going on. Man, I never thought that she was cute. You you yeah, th- I, I think thought she was face cute? Has character, yeah. She she was also great in the movie uh, autobi- or autobiography of Lenny Bruce. Oh, okay. Called Lenny too, and you get to see her as a stripper in that. Uh, yeah, baby. Uh, now, how how much do you get to see her in that? It's, let's just say, I would get it on Netflix. <laughs> you. Someday when the wife and kids are at the zoo. 
Well, I know we're coming up on first break, but I just wanted to throw out there the, the completely off the topic of Valerie Perrine, but uh, ah, I remember I was just being... climbing up on that topic. Ah, well, yeah, I know you want to climb up on that topic. You know, I uh, I, I really credit this movie for really firmly cementing me getting into comics. But you know what's funny is I remember being terribly, you know, once I got into them and started to discover them, I remember being terribly disappointed in the way Superman was portrayed in the comics at that time after seeing this movie. Because even as a kid and having some pretty horrible discerning taste, you know what I mean? I mean, I pretty much didn't have any shit filter whatsoever. Right. Even with that, I remember still thinking that they were really goofy by comparison with the movie. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the way Superman was with all the Silver Age trappings and all that. As much as I came to really enjoy that stuff almost as a completely separate entity and all that, I, I do distinctly remember being like, wow, you know, why can't, you know, he be more like in the in the movie, you know, the same way that you know, I remember you and I being the same way with like the Hulk comics, you know, watching the Hulk on TV with Bill Bixby and all that, and loving that. But then you'd go and read the comics, and it wasn't a, wasn't a goddamn thing like that in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. So I had kind of the same reaction with Superman in the comics, which is funny. It's it's odd that I ever stuck with it really, because it wasn't for quite a long time that the comics started to make any sort of change to reflect the movie. It took, I remember that, it took a long time before they caught up, which is funny because that's where the movie, you know, evolved from. Mm -hmm. So you'd think it would be just a very natural thing for the comics to sort of adapt a little bit. And you know, if it happened today, the comics would adapt very quickly. it, Mm -hmm. It would happen a lot faster, but it took a long time, I remember, yeah, I, I never was. I've enjoyed a lot of Superman, man comics, but I've never been like a big Superman fan, like you. You know, I remember being a kid and reading like the hardbound version of Secret Origins of Superheroes and reading the Superman one, and like I was really, really young and being fascinated by it. Right. And you know, I would occasionally read an out of context Superman comic, which you could do as a kid because a lot of it was self-contained. Right. But by the time when we were first buying comic books, I don't know, I just never got... I got pulled into some DC, but I was just mostly buying Marvel stuff for some reason. Mm-hmm. Although I did buy my share of DC comics, but it, it was usually a little off the beaten trail, like Swamp Thing or Amethyst. But I liked the <laughs> new Teen Titans, too, and I was buying some new Teen Titans and the but the first two Superman movies are just like so high in my list of movies, favorite movies that you know it almost supersedes the comics for me. If that's not too bad of a blasphemy or heresy. No, or not at all, not at all. I, I think that the 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 comics when they finally did start to mutate a little bit, you know. I'm I'm not a big fan of comics suddenly shifting to reflect, you know, some new media influence like uh I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, you know, some some new superhero movie will come out like right. Spider-Man. You know, right. and then all of a sudden Spider-Man in the comics has to change to you know, adapt to what the movie was. I I'm not a big fan of that. However, Superman sort of needed it. 
he needed it. And also, I, you know, when, when you trace the history of Superman, actually a lot of things that we have come to consider mainstays of that character first appeared in other media. They weren't even, right. you know, outgrowths of, of the comic books. Right. You know, like Kryptonite. Kryptonite didn't first appear in comics. That was, I'm pretty sure that was on the radio. And different things like that. So, you know, you can't get too worked up yeah. about that sort well, of thing. He's, he's been around so long, he's like Mickey Mouse. He just has to sort of flow with the times while maintaining his basic character traits and things that define him. It's, right. You know, he's sort of like Doctor Who. There's, you can always have a new Doctor Who but you gotta keep to the whole Doctor Who storyline, and right. as long as you do that with Superman, it's it's not you know they can jump through whatever hoops they want to to explain how you know Superman existed during World War II and stuff like that or what you know whatever. Or, but basically, the kids who are reading it aren't gonna care as long as it's Superman doing his thing. That's there's something about that. In a kid's psyche that really speaks to them, you know? Right. And it probably is not going to change because it hasn't changed for a long time, you know, generations. So it's always going to be the same thing. And it's always going to be different, just like, just like life, man. Just like life. <laughs> wow, dude. Well, with that, yeah. I think we need to go to first break. And we'll come back and we'll talk more about what is this KCOP thing that we keep talking about. K-Cop. <laughs> From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen... It's Superman. Superman, the movie. That's incredible. Will not be seen tonight due to the following ABC special movie presentation. But it will return next week at its regular time with more incredible stories. Okay, and we're back for the second segment of our massive Superman the Movie special edition episode. And in this segment, I really want to talk about just what the hell is the KCOP version that we keep talking about? Now, the KCOP version is what Chris and I um, just rewatched. I, I re actually rewatched it twice um, in preparation for this episode. KCOP is the call letters of a station in Los Angeles, California that showed this version on their station. Years ago, when Superman came to television for the first time and was put on by, I believe it was ABC, they were given the full cut. Basically, the entire movie, every scene that had been shot that was incorporated into it, and then they were allowed to basically whittle it down to the two-parter that they eventually played. What the KCOP version is, is that full version uncut. So anything that was filmed and wound up in the movie is in that version. It's the longest existing cut that there is. There's something like 40 or 45 extra minutes of wow. footage, which I've heard criticized. You know, some people will tell you, and there's a commercial 
that's on YouTube that I, I'm actually going to post in our, our uh, notes you know, on the thread for this. So please go to the forum and look for it. Someone is actually working on making, the, you know, cleaning this up and making a really nice copy that they're going to distribute somehow via the internet later on. And the commercial is funny. It's actually kind of self-deprecating because, it, you know, it shows, like, scenes with Otis. And it'll say, you know, exclusive to the KCOP version, walking, and it shows Otis walking down a street or something. And then it'll show him from a different perspective, and it'll say, and walking! And then it'll show him from another perspective, and it'll say, and even more walking! So it's kind of making fun of itself, because there is a lot of extra footage that doesn't really do anything. It yeah, doesn't amount just, to it's anything. It's extraneous. It's a, a right. different angle, or just a slightly longer take of something else. Right. Yeah. But there is... Also, on the flip side, there is a lot of footage that is just as much like, wow, why did they cut that? That's awesome. And the scene that I always like to point out, the scene that makes this the only version of this movie that I can watch, is the scene where... Now, if you're familiar with the the theatrical version, especially if you're familiar with the soundtrack to this movie, which I'm going to get to that in a minute. That's a whole different conversation. But if you're familiar with the John Williams soundtrack and the part of the movie where Miss Tashmacher jumps in the water, pulls the kryptonite off of Superman, he takes off, you know, he rockets through the through the roof and smashes out and he goes after the rocket. Listen to the music and listen in the theatrical cut of that movie and you can actually hear where there's a significant portion of John Williams' score deleted. It doesn't pick up again until the shot of Superman chasing the missile. There is a giant chunk of the movie that's cut out, and the chunk that's cut out is the guys in the bunker that are supposed to be you know, c- conducting this test or reacting, and they figure out that you know, you know, someone's trying to destroy Metropolis. And the other guy says, uh, actually, sir, I think it's headed for New Jersey. And the guy goes, New Jersey? What the hell's in New Jersey? Yeah. Which is a great scene. And then it cuts again to my absolutely favorite Superman shot of the entire film, which is Superman. It's hard to describe, but he kind of side, you know, like side swoops out of the sky. It's, it's almost like he pivots on an axis out of the sky and he plants himself firmly in the path of the oncoming rocket and he puts his hands out. And he braces to, I don't know, catch it or destroy it or punch it or something. And the rocket gets almost to him and then zips right around him. And he has this total, like, whoa, look on his face. Like, he totally didn't expect the missile to just go around him. And then he sets his jaw and he takes off at super speed after it. And then it resumes where the theatrical cut, you know, picked up from which is superman chasing the rocket through like middle america there's like a woman hanging her laundry or whatever and the guy's working on the fence all that stuff is in the theatrical cut but you never got to see the part where he actually just tried to catch the someone's trying to destroy metropolis uh actually sir it looks like it's headed for new jersey new jersey what the hell's in new jersey I love that. And 
why that's not in the, the theatrical or, or any of the other editions that have come out is an absolute crime. Because I was like first in line to buy the special edition DVD when it came out, got it home, and I can't watch it. Be- between what they did to the sound and they messed around with so- new sound effects and all this, uh, and they did add in something like eight minutes of you know the 45 minutes of extra stuff. So they did do a little bit of tinkering with it, but they, they didn't put that scene back in. So I, I, I was really disappointed in that. I, wa- I really own that one just, and I recommend people get it just for the extras. It's got great right. documentary, all that great commentary with Donner, but the film that's on that one, still a disappointment. It's just not got what it needs to have in it, which is this scene with the rocket. <laughs> it, that's the scene, man. It, it makes that movie for me. That scene with the rocket is just awesome. Well, and speaking about earlier with the blood thirsty Lex Luthor, it's also got the scene where he's lowering Miss Teschmacher down to the babies. Yeah, the babies. Which were set up earlier, you know, not the babies, Mr. Luthor. Oh, yep. I think the babies are hungry. But, you know, and he's just playing piano as he lowers her down into the pit. And I remember you saw that when it was on TV and came to school and were like, and then there was, and you named off all the extra scenes that, mm-hmm. you know, weren't in it before. There's a lot more stuff oh, with, yeah. with Luther and them. Some of them are, you know, don't add too much, but then other ones are really cool because I like the scene. You know, one of the scenes I remember you and I both always liked was the long arm scene, you know, where, where Luther just, he does that thing that you call a slow burn, where he just gets more and more pissed when he realizes that they went through all that stuff that they did, and then Otis fucked up putting the numbers in. And he's like, do you want to see a long arm? Do you want to see a very, very long arm? <laughs> and he just, le- you know, he's driving the ambulance, but he just gets up and goes into the back to beat Otis's ass while they're driving. You know, he just like leaves the driver's seat. And in this KCOP version, that scene is extended too. He's actually holding Otis out the back door of the ambulance like he's trying to like throw him out or strangle him or something. something Yeah, it's really funny. I like that. There's there's a lot of extra stuff in that version. So the KCOP, I keep messing that up. The KCOP version has never been commercially released. And to my you know, from what I've ever heard, they don't plan to. There's there's not the, you know, the quote-unquote demand for it. However, you can find it on the internet. You can watch a lot of it on YouTube. Maybe the whole thing, for all I know. But you can see it on YouTube. Um, it has been released in in different versions. There's somebody that's trying to clean it up right now and, and put out a really, like, definitive version. Um I've seen where a lot of people will tell you that this is also called the International Salkine version. I don't believe, to my knowledge, they are not the same thing, that there are subtle differences between the two. Um, I could be wrong in that. I tried to look that up today and, and really find out what exactly are the differences. And all references I can find say that the KCOP and the International Salkine version are the same. All I know is I own them both, and the running times are different. So, you know, draw your own conclusions. But I would say if you're a fan of this movie and you have never seen the KCOP version, then you've never really seen Superman the movie because it's got so much more awesome stuff in it. Really, really nice stuff. I agree. And it's, and 
I never really thought while I was watching it both times I never was really paying attention to this superfluous anything you know saying this is this they just threw this in it all worked really well you know it all mm-hmm. flo- it all flowed and I wasn't thinking about which were from the original cut and which were you know stuff that was saved off the cutting room floor and um the and I'm I'm really ashamed to say back when way back when we did our favorite soundtrack episodes that I did not have the Superman soundtrack on my list. You just you just made Mark wherever he is right now, whatever he's doing, you know, he, he's he's probably doing something at Mickey's house right now. Yeah, somebody's just, talking about me. He just got a warm spot. You know, maybe Ew. he just peeps pants. That's or something. what I was gonna say. That's yeah. usually how you get a warm spot. <laughs> He's in the pool and he just hit a warm spot. But no, my point was that you just—I know that he doesn't listen to us, but he, you know, I'd like to think that he still, you know, that that made his day just hearing that because uh, he's never gonna forgive you for the Repo Man thing. Ah, oh, I love that. I love it. Love that soundtrack. Genius. But speaking of soundtracks, and I, I know this is where you were going, man. John Williams. God, this is... Yeah. You know, people knock, and rightly so, Superman Returns. But, you know, if that movie did one thing right, Brian Singer realized that he couldn't have made that movie without John Williams' score. And, you know, right on, brother. I mean, that music, you know, right up there with Star Wars and, you know, like... like in Jaws, you know, the music is the shark in that movie. You know, the music in this just, it's its like a whole nother character. It's its like if Superman had a sidekick, the music in this is his sidekick. You know what I mean? It's, it's right there to just really bring everything to a whole nother level. And it's not just the Superman theme. As awesome as the Superman theme is... Oh no, there's like it's, the, all sorts of... So there's like the part where you're you're zooming into Krypton. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful, majestic oh, yeah. m- music. And there's a lot of soft stuff. You know, this is this is one of those great soundtracks I like to dig out and listen to when I want something that's a little um, easier to listen to. You know what I mean? And not not just a bunch of like thrumming action, because it, you know while it is an action-packed soundtrack. Like the the sequence where uh, the the cat burglar is climbing up the side of the building, I mean, yeah. just so subtle, you know, really beautiful, really just really subtle and and beautiful, and but then he can go from something like that, you know, where Superman gets the the cat out of the tree, and then the very right. next time music picks up, you know, again it's the Superman theme, and he's actually saving. Air Force One, and it's just his ability to go from something light and airy to Superman getting a cat out of a tree to Superman, you know, saving the free world. You know, it's it's, it's great. It it just really speaks to Williams' ability as a as you know the ultimate scorist. The ultimate scorist. That's what they used to call me in college, man. Shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, um, I'm gonna have I'm gonna take the one issue with the music in this, and I uh-oh. took issue with this when I was a kid. 
and I thought about midway through my first viewing of this just recently, I thought, oh, here comes that part, and it's the part where Superman goes flying with Lois Lane. And I remember when I was a kid, I was like, oh. I know where you're going. The, the can, can you read my mind? Uh-huh. Is that what you're talking about? And she's doing the whole, like, trying to see if he can read her mind. And and it, I remember as a kid just going like, oh, this is so lame. And I was thinking, maybe I'll appreciate that more as an adult. But all it made me do as an adult was go, within the first three lines, go, oh, my God. These are lyrics to a song. Oh. I think there actually was a, a 45 released of that, if I'm not mistaken. I don't Maria Maldauer. I think there... Oh, was? Oh, okay. Pardon me I for thought, just... <clears throat> Can you read my mind? Do you know what it is you do to me? Don't you know who you are? Just a friend from another star. Here I am, like a kid at school, holding hands with a god. I'm a fool. Will you look at me quivering? Quivering. Like a little girl shivering? You can see right through me. And on and on and on and on. Are. Rhyming, quivering, and shivering. And, I am and, so going to dub the... Because I have the version without the music. Because I was going to say, I wish that they would do an edition of this where they would take the wordless version and dub that in. Because I think the scene... Honest, I'm going to be serious. I, I believe the scene is beautiful. But I agree with you. I don't care for her... She's actually like rapping it. She's not even singing it or saying it. It's kind of, it's almost She's like kind of doing a Shatner. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So yeah, I will agree with you. That scene, not only is it uncomfortable and, and all that, but it, it's one of the scenes that uh, I hate to admit it, but there's certain aspects of this movie that are starting look, to look really dated. And that's one of the things that dates it is because the beginning of that musical sequence goes from being a traditional John Williams score to where there's just a little bit of dun, 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 you know the little bit of yeah I, you don't it's not rock and roll but you know what I mean it, it goes from yeah. traditional to almost and a disco-esque feel to it yes well, it was Mar- Maria Muldauer who was a disco singer wrote the lyrics and and you know if they would have just had it without the words on there with just them flying and just silently watching each other and you know doing the whole thing and her falling and all that it would have been great it would have been really cool but these lyrics are just so and you know it's like why would you have Lois thinking lyrics in her mind you know right Uh, so it was just was and is painy painy painful for me (laughs) every time I see it I think my neighbors downstairs are getting drunk 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 and they're two girls and they're singing little songs together hopefully they'll get louder and I'll try and get it on get it on the (laughs) podcast I stopped doing it now but I'll if you hear any soft singing it's not like evil children from a horror movie (laughs) you'll know what it is I am so gonna leave that in thank you but um yeah that that was my that's my b 
biggest complaint with the movie. It's not my only complaint, but that's my big. Wow! Wow! Like, if that's uh, your if that's your biggest one, then I I, I feel a big sigh of relief. Well, then. it was kind of like product placement. It was kind of like a plug for the song and like the Cheerios oh, yeah. product p- placement on oh, it's, Mom it's Pod the, Gents house. Mm-hmm. It's the "My Heart Will Go On" sequence of the movie is what it is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And where I went to get the lyrics to this, to read the lyrics to this, you can actually get it as a ringtone for your phone. Oh, no thank you. I do have the <laughs> Superman theme ringtone. Well, yeah, that's phone. a good one. But, uh, actually those lyrics are wrong. Um, because there was the part where you said, don't you know who you are? The line is actually, um, I don't know who you are. I just read just it a wrong. Friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, I, was, right. I was incorrect. We'll just, I'm looking at it right now, yeah. But I wanted we'll to do it like Shatner. That's what Shatner would do. He'd grab him by the back of the head and go, Don't you know who you are? Just <laughs> a friend from another star. <laughs> we need to get Shatner to read that. I'll but, get uh, him on the horn. Again, I'm going to beat this KCOP thing into the ground because I'm serious. Anybody listening to the sound of my voice that loves this movie and you haven't seen that version, you're just doing yourself a disservice but one of the other great features along with all the extra footage and all that is now the superman the movie soundtrack the commercially available soundtrack is awesome you know the the one that finally that rhino put out the 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 two disc complete soundtrack Uh it's incredible i mean it's it's my favorite john williams score and that's saying a lot i mean the man has scored the movies of our lifetime you know what i mean star wars close encounters and jaws and indiana jones and et and all these great scores so to be able to to pick one of them and go that's the best one i mean really is saying something but it's my favorite one i it's well, just it's the one of your favorite movies so come yeah on. absolutely although my favorite soundtrack isn't the soundtrack to my favorite movie so but the kcop version finally does justice to the John Williams score because there's a lot of sequences in this movie, in the theatrical version of the movie, where the music is either dialed down or dialed out. Right, completely gone. Yeah, where it's actually gone because one of the big differences happens early in the movie where in the theatrical version, you'll notice that if you're familiar with the destruction of Krypton track on the soundtrack you don't actually hear much of that in the theatrical cut of the movie. As a matter of fact, when the planet Krypton blows up, on the soundtrack, you hear kind of a rumble of, you know, it's drums. It's boom. And that's not in the theatrical version. In the theatrical version, it goes from people falling and screaming and all this to an exterior, like, outside the galaxy shot of the red sun and and the planet, and suddenly the planet just blows up. There's no music. And in I, the KCOP version, it's all restored. There is music. The The entire destruction of Krypton track is in the film. I love that. That's awesome. there's a Wilhelm scream in there, too, of course. Is there? Oh, yeah. Oh, I missed it. Where is yeah, that? Yeah, there's, there's a shot with it. It's, it's very similar to the placement of the Wilhelm scream in, the, in Star Trek The Motion Picture. There's an explosion, and a guy sort of falls off, you know, a crystal structure, and... Yay! As he falls. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, and another thing, I just want to say, it wasn't Maria Muldaur that wrote 
that horrible set of lyrics. It was Maureen McGovern. So my that's right. My yes. apologies to Maria Moldauer. <laughs> I am certainly sorry. I didn't want to. I, I'm sorry that I almost hung that one on you, <laughs> Maureen McGovern. <clears throat> we're gonna have to talk. Now, also, I was waiting for it. And it never happened, and I, I paid extra attention through the whole movie. Right. The KCOP version is not edited for TV, and I, I was actually shocked by that because one of the special longer editions I had seen over the years, right at the beginning, says edited for TV. You know, like they, they did that back in the day. You know, they put that little disclaimer on there. And I, I know exactly where it used to be in the movie. It was at the park where you're zooming in on Krypton for the first time, right about the time that you're getting to Kryptonopolis or whatever the name of the town is with the big dome, right at that point, the word would come up and it would say, edited for television or edited for TV, one of the two. Right before we actually went inside and, and Jor-El starts his little spiel. And it's not there with the KCOP one. And I noticed that they actually leave everything in, you know, because there's actually well, a, a sequence... I, I wonder if like the you, you know when you think when you see something edited for edited for television you think well they cut out the swearing or they dubbed in you know the redubs over the swearing and stuff like that and they cut some scenes out for time right but with superman it could also very well mean they cut stuff in that's still editing it's still been edited for television but it would just be edited the opposite way they usually edit for television or just take stuff out there's certainly nothing in the movie version that was objectionable enough to be on TV. My favorite sequence musically, though, of the whole movie is the, the Fortress of Solitude. You know, the whole... After... The, the kind of fade from the Kansas cornfield to right. the glacier, you know, and then Clark walking, you know, to the Arctic and all that, you know, that entire sequence. You know, as soon as it goes to white, basically, and that whole sequence straight up until he, he's in costume for the first time is just... I don't know. There's just operatic. something about that. Yeah, it is very operatic, and the the music in that whole part is really beautiful. You know, there's the one moment while the the fortress is actually making itself, where the music gets a little weird. It's got a little bit of that that close encounters alien yes. abduction sequence part into it. But other yeah. than that, it's beautiful. I really like that. And uh, yeah, that's 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 one of my all-time favorite pieces of music from anything, really. It's, it's Here's got a question. Did, mm-hmm. did Miko ever do a version of Superman? There are some jazzy versions out there, but I don't know that Miko yeah, specifically Miko by name. Yeah, if they ever did one, but yeah, I've got I've got at least one that's kind of a you know jazzed out version. Yeah, jazzed up kind of whatever. The disco dance remix. I'm trying to, you know, there's there's some other, there's some really cheesy music in it, you know, where Lois is listening to the radio or something like that. Well, that I, I get a kick out of those scenes because there's there's really there's two at least two of them I can think of. There's the scene where that Brad asshole from the football team is driving Lana and the girls. Yeah. And in that one, they're playing just very generic, weird-sounding rock and roll music. 
that's for the TV thing, because apparently they, they didn't pay twice to get Bill Haley's uh, Rock Around the Clock, because that's what they're actually listening to in the theatrical version. But what's really strange is in the in the other part where you're talking about with Lois Lane going to the gas station and all that, they're playing that that weird goofy ass music that nobody would listen to in their car. I mean, it sounds so like cheesy Muzak or something. Well, yeah, and it, she, it flips, very she flips fake. around to the channel, and when she hits it, she's sort of like, "Yeah, this'll do." Yeah. What's funny is in the in the theatrical version, she's actually listening to um, that song. I think it's Super Tramp. It's that uh, Give a Little Bit, yeah. you know, that song. Yeah. But even in this one, when she's actually at I, the gas station and she honks the horn, that song is again playing. You're right. So they didn't I even remember take that. it all the way out. And right. So I, I was like, what? So it, it's really funny. It's I like, like they Super took Tramp. it out because they didn't want to play. F- you know, I, I know I love that song. It's like they took it out because they didn't want to pay for it. Yeah. But then it's like half a second of it that you actually do hear at the gas station part. So it's really strange. And they probably just missed it, and and whoever Super Tramp didn't notice it and demand their copyright money or didn't care or whatever. But yeah. well, you know what's hilarious is on one of the recently, I think it was Film Score Monthly put out a an eight disc set called Superman the Music and it's all four Superman movies and some music from the 1988 Superman animated show that was on for just like one season on CBS uh-huh. and on all those discs they threw in just shitloads of bonus material and some of the bonus material is that music um what do they call that? Source music? Right. Like the stuff, that cheesy stuff that's playing on the radio that we were just talking about is on there. So you can actually, I mean, who would want to hear it? But there it is. You know, it, it's it's hysterical. It just it might be a, funny, a, cheesy a, background music for something you're doing. But yeah, it wouldn't be something you'd want to be in your car tapping your toes to right before you get swallowed up into the ground and crushed like a bug. Now let me ask you this: my my objectivity is extremely low when it comes to this movie because I'm such a fan of it. But I think, for the most part, you know, on the whole, that the effects in this really hold up. I mean, sure, yeah, they there's a, they do they sure do. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, there's a couple moments, and I think they're actually KCOP exclusive moments, so they don't necessarily count. But there's a couple moments that are a little wonky, you know, with with some of the flying effects maybe looking a little bit too cut out or something. But other than that, I think the effects are still awesome 30 years later. Well, I I have a theory about that. And it has to do specifically with this KCOP version. Because this KCOP version literally looks like when you watch TV back in the old days. You really don't think of how low resolution TV was because you were dependent on a, a signal like the radio. So right. there was always a little noise. A clear TV picture was still really noisy by today's mm-hmm. standards. So that's what this K- and this KCOP version is, you know, I don't know what generation it is by the time it made me, but it it's several several generations old. So there's there's parts where the screen goes open, you know, there's a sound and, you know, a, a bar will go up and across the screen and it's a little fuzzy. 
and I think that actually makes the effects look better than if it was in high def and you could see the matte lines better, you know? Right, yeah. But there's some flight scenes in here where they're moving the camera and he swoops and it's just really very realistic looking and you get that feel of not just flying straight with it, you know, with the clouds moving underneath him and his fist out in the air, but, you know, swooping and dipping and and flipping around, you know, and you get the, the feel of it. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I was, I was feeling almost all the special effects. Even the cheap, quote-unquote, cheesy stuff was convincing, you know? Right. Yeah, because there's actually a couple sequences... Um, I don't know how familiar you are with something like, say, the Adventures of Captain Marvel serial from back in the, the 40s. But most of the time in that serial, when Captain Marvel would fly, it was literally a dummy on a string right. <laughs> that they would zip. And there are a number of flying sequences in super, in this movie, Superman the movie, where Superman is just a dummy on a string zipped from one place to another. But they do it in such a way, and it's such a quick shot, and it's interspersed with live action and the real Chris yeah. Reeves and stuff like that, that it works, and you don't see the dummy. You know what I mean? And it, This movie, I think, more than any other movie from this era or from this type of special effects movie making, I hold this one up as... When we talked a while back in one of our other episodes about real you know quote unquote real special effects versus the new digital shit where everything's done on a computer i still say something's being lost in the in the realism and in the the feel of movies when you can do all this stuff on a computer now yeah a lot of times it looks amazing and i can't see them doing something like superman catching the airplane sequence from superman right. returns with this technology but on the flip side, there's something very, just very real and well, very it's real things. It's light yeah, exactly. off a it's... real thing, and yeah. and and I look at this as this uh, we're living in an awkward phase of computer animation. It's advancing quickly, but it still hasn't crossed that line. You know, there's a lot of computer animation that you don't notice. But when right. it's a full-out, you know, like an animated sequence in computer of Superman flying or giant monsters fighting or something, you just, you can tell. And someday right. they're going to figure out and fine-tune it and get it to a degree where you don't feel that way. And, you know, in the, in the context of, say, Lord of the Rings, that works because everything is full of monsters and dragons and... Right. It's, and it's a fantasy, but you know, in, in Superman, it's 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 fun to see sometimes a guy in front of a blue screen, you know, hanging by wires and holding up a helicopter by you know one skid on the bottom of it. You know, mm -hmm. it just it it's it's kind of fun, you know, and that's you know it's a fun movie, and I you know I think. One of the few things I can say for Superman Returns is it didn't really overdo on the on the computer generated stuff or at the the shoving it in your face. But you know, the, I mean, this one for for its time really doesn't show. Like, watch a James Bond movie from that same time and look at the matte lines on him when he's oh, like yeah. writing a you know 
sea, sea dew or through the water or something, or you know, it's just hor- horrifying, you know. Well, one thing that I think, and the word I was searching for before was physical effect. Physical effect yeah. versus Computer digital kind of effect. Idea. And I am so in agreement with you that they have not crossed that line. I think that there is still a world of disparity between a physical effect and a digital effect. I, I'm going to brag and say that I, I feel like personally I can spot it 99 times out of yeah. 100. I actually you took a, 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 a visual test on, you know, we'll show you one picture and then we'll show you another and you tell us which one is a computer-generated picture. And I was in the, like, point one point, you know, one te- you know, one-tenth of... Uh, one percent, I think. No, that would be whatever. I was in the top percent out of the. You know, most people would get about fifty-fifty of it. But I, you know, there's just little quirks about it that you always spot. Maybe it's because I'm a movie freak, or you know, I don't know. But it's yeah, it's very easy to give away. All it takes is one little inconsistency, and everything being realistic will get thrown right away. And, you know, sometimes it's done better than others, like Gollum. It mm-hmm. was very, you know, very convincing. And other times, it's cool because it looks computer animated, like episode two, where it was sort of a tribute to Harryhausen. So they look like sort of animated clay creatures, computer animated clay creatures. But for the most time, when they really try to do it, you know... As as just a full replacement for having your mechanical tauntaun or whatever, you, you can just you could just see it. That lizard in episode three is really cool, right? And he's very close, but you could tell he's computer generated. There's just no two right. ways about it. And something about that takes away the wonder about it because you're never wondering how did they do that, right? You know how they did that. There was a well, guy there's... who made a wireframe, and you know. How you know? How do they do it so well? Is the question if they do it well? But it, there's never you know in the old movies. Sometimes you had to be like, how did they figure out how to do that? You know, and it was some inventive thing that the effects guy thought up on the on the spot. You know, and we'll stick this on a stick and we'll put the camera in the you know we'll mount it to the hood of the car and we'll drive it into his face and you know all well, there's that a, stuff. A- there's a beautiful testament to that in this movie that um, when I watched it recently, uh, Scotty was with me watching it, and I challenged him. And I said, watch this sequence and tell me how they did it. Because it's one of those sequences where when people think about it, you'll be like, wow, how did they that's do that? right. And it's the sequence where right after the part that you, you don't like where – Lois does her little rap performance and then Superman brings her back to her apartment. Um, They're on the balcony together. Now watch that scene and he says, you know, he asks her if she's alright and she says she is and he says, well, good night. And she says, oh, good night. And he turns around and he flies off. And she walks a couple feet, kind of thinking to herself and she comes up with the name Superman and then she hears knocking at the door. So she walks a few more feet. She answers the door. And it's, you know, of course, it's Clark Kent there. That is a complete scene. There's no one cut. Take, There's yeah. No, uh, yeah, it's one take. So how in the hell did Christopher Reeve go from 
Superman in costume, in makeup, with his hairstyle that way, to Clark Kent in about 10 seconds with no cut. Do you know how it, how it happened? I, I, well, I can't see the scene ahead of me, so it could have been done with a double, but that seems too easy of an answer. It was what done is. much the same way they did most of the really the the best of the flying sequences, the ones that look really really awesome, right? Like uh, like the scene where Superman quickly flies into the desert, he drops Jimmy Olsen off, and he does a little jump, and then the perspective changes to where you're looking at Superman's face, and the ground recedes very rapidly behind him. Uh huh. It's done the same way. That's all rear projection. And they used it a lot in this movie, but it's it's great because all the best flying sequences are that rear projection stuff. So, so Chris re- Reeve is static, but the background is moving because it's a movie. Uh-huh. So in that scene, when Lois says goodnight to Superman and he flies off, that is entirely rear projection. Chris Reeve isn't really there. It's all a movie. She's actually interacting with... A, a blue movie. screen, yeah, yeah. On a, on a well, it's actually was at, it was there at the time. It wasn't even blue screen. That's why so many of the best Christopher Reeve flying moments in the movie don't have that line around it, like you're talking about. Like right. in The Empire Strikes Back, you know, when the when the snow speeders are flying around and there's those fucking lines that they had to take out yeah. in the special edition. There's not a lot of that in Superman the movie because most of those flying sequences were a physical effect where Chris Reeve was suspended or whatever they were doing and what was behind him wasn't a blue screen, it was rear projection of a movie. And they filmed it so brightly and so vividly that it blended. And my, my example is of, of where this works and where it doesn't is you look at that scene I just talked about where, where Superman drops Jimmy off and then streaks off and it looks totally believable. Right. You look at the same sequence, as much as I love this movie, it's not aging well, is uh, the Rocketeer. The part of the Rocketeer I used to love the best was when he flies for the first time, he hits the button and he takes off, and it gives you the same perspective shot as in Superman the movie, where we're looking at his, fa- at his helmet, at his head, and the ground recedes behind him. But they did that shot with blue screen. You know, with the with the matted in blue right. screen, look at those scenes side by side, and you'll see a vast difference because you see the lines, and one image is brighter than the other, and all right. of that, and it looks fake. It just doesn't hold up. And every scene with the Rocketeer is one of those cut out with the black line around it effects, and you watch that movie, and it just doesn't hold up to Superman that's got probably ten extra years on it. So. I think it's really a testament to the way they made this this movie with the with the awesome flying effects. Well, I, I think we're about ready to take a break, but we should come back with some of our yeah, just some of our comments, critiques, favorite scenes, critiques, just sort of a general recap and and a covering of some few other key and important and insanely interesting points. <laughs> cool. And now, scenes from tomorrow night's conclusion of Superman. Why are you here? I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. 
Superman begins his courtship of Lois Lane and his campaign against crime. Tell me what you see. Dimples? I'll give you dimples. It occurs to me that a 500 megaton bomb here would destroy most of California. Tomorrow, the conclusion of Superman on the ABC Monday Night Movie at 8, 7, 7 and 9. Hey, we're back. And uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna sort of wrap up with um, some of our favorite moments, some of our critiques, and just just we'll just tie up all our little loose ends here. One of my favorite lines: I like pink very much, Lois. <laughs> I bet he does. What a line from the Boy Scout! You know, that's the, the you know it, it, it's sort of it's although it is funny because. You know, I also, when I was a kid, I thought, well, Superman's kind of bland in this. Once he's in his costume, he's very oh, much the no, Boy Scout. He's, no, he's but not. At the, now that I watch it now, I understand he's play, He's still playing a part when he's doing that. He's being very careful to be G-rated because he has right. his responsibility as Superman. But he's much more co- complex than the Eagle Scout. You know, he is mm-hmm. a, a very much more complex character. He's been... You know, inundated with the some knowledge of Krypton, which is pretty good. That's a good amount of knowledge, I assume. Imagining you, the some knowledge of Earth being put into my head, <laughs> and Krypton being older and more advanced. Yeah, he's he's pretty bright, and he should have a pretty uh, complicated internal dialogue. I think this movie is chock full of of great great. Uh, quotes, you know, some some of the best, some of my favorite movie quotes are in this one. You know, the the whole, uh, it's amazing that brain can generate enough power to keep those legs. <laughs> I love that one. That's a, that's great. Especially Hackman's delivery of it too. It's just yep. so full of scorn and, but it's also there's you know, I mean, he's got to have some affection for Otis, even though he treats him like shit through the whole movie. And or the Otis, what a, you know, what does a number two hundred mean to you you know it's it's your weight and my iq <laughs> yeah i love that <laughs> well also you know along with you know hackman has some great lines you know and there's there's so many really good lines but to me you gotta give chris reeve his due in this movie because i i think that people somehow don't appreciate him enough no. in this because well, he, he gets a lot of appreciation now because of how his life ended and, you know, the last right. part of his life. So a lot of people appreciate it, but it's just that sort of creepy, you know, well-meaning of the dead sort of thing. But boy, right. when yeah, when he was Clark Kent, he had, you know, he became a physical comedian. And, right. you know, he was, stu- you know, doing all sorts of physical pratfalls, sort of like, um, oh God, to compare apples and oranges type thing, but like Three's Company, like John Ritter and Three's Company. It was oh, yeah. all pratfalls and physical humor and, and you know, being... And he and, and as a kid, I thought it was kind of exaggerated. Now it's just... it's His portrayal of Clark Kent is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And his little asides at the moments where, you know, there's a little irony with his interplay with Lois or you think that Lois is going to show some affection for him and really she's just sort of it, it, it's just great it's 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 very much like the snappy old romances of the 
of the olden days where the characters who are in love are sort of cracking wise and uh, you know having having snappy dialogue you know back at little witty back and forths and stuff like that and that's I think Margot Kidder's Lois Lane is a and his Clark Kent are a direct throwback to the sort of Cary Grant movie type stuff well I just think he's amazing because I think you can find an actor that can do one or you find an actor that can do the other but to be able to pull them both off because you really are playing two characters I mean you're not because George Reeves as as beloved as he was in the role of Superman on the old TV show and all that and and as cool a guy as he was he made a great Superman and all really to me anyway never sold the two different characters thing you know there was superman and then there was superman wearing regular clothes right <laughs> it glasses, really yeah. wasn't two different people whereas chris reeves superman was two different distinct characters he carries but, uh, his whole body in a whole different way as clark kent right you know his his whole body just like sort of snivels in a little bit you know and he has jerky nervous movements and and for, and but when he takes his glasses off to reflect in the moment he'll straighten up and you'll see superman and then the glasses go back on and he's for me though it's still his his superman that blows me away because i think that there's a, a natural tendency to think of superman as well, you know, bland. he's kind of bland and he's kind of personality lists and all you'd really need is somebody with a good physique that can pull that costume off. But he probably could have done that. He probably could have just come in and kind of just read his lines and, and done his thing and collected the paycheck, but he really does sell Superman because it, it's like what I was saying. He has to deliver some goofy lines, you know. Exactly. Like when exactly. he's talking to the girl about her cat, hey, don't blame Fluffy, you know, sometimes we all want to climb, you know, that's a pretty goofy line, and it seems like it's a purposely goofy line, but he delivers it with 100% honesty. Right. And it well, works. It, it, the line for me in this one is, I'm here to fight for truth, justice, and the American way. That could Bomb. I mean, that could elicit laughs. That could make people roll their eyes. Yeah. That could, you know, it could go a hundred different ways. But when Most he delivers that good. line, you buy it. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he really he sells his his sincerity is really the big thing with with uh, Reeve and with Superman in this. Is he's sincere? He doesn't come across as. You know, either just collecting a paycheck or he can't act. You know, I mean, he really right. comes across as he believes what he's saying and he makes you believe it. And he also he also portrays himself as having vulnerabilities, you know, beyond the physical vulnerabilities, but he has emotional vulnerabilities and desires and stuff outside of just, you know, saving the world and all that and, you know, anguish and regrets and stuff like that so and all that is portrayed in a comic booky kind of context also so it's it's the whole movie is treading all kinds of razor sharp lines mm-hmm. in all different directions and it pulls it off at every step of the way and that's quite a quite a accomplishment 
Right. I just, I find it so ironic that he doesn't even get top billing in his own movie, and they surround him with guys like Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman and... Uh, Ned Beatty and... Uh, Ned Beatty and... Uh, what? what pa- uh, Cooper. Yeah, um, Jackie Cooper. Jackie Perry Cooper. White. He's great yeah. in it, too. Yeah, he is. He's great. But, you know, the thing that had to happen was that you had to not only believe Superman special effects-wise, but you had to believe him as a as a real person with with at least some sort of personality and that's the part that still blows me away above and beyond him catching helicopters and you know going back in time and things like that is the fact that he is just believable you know and he's likable he's he's really he's a nice guy yeah. you know and that that in itself can be tough to sell well, in a movie like that, it's usually the villain who's the most interesting character. And the right. good guy is just sort of there as a foil for the villain, but he's almost never as interesting as the villain. And he pulls it off. Although it's funny you say traveling in time. That's one of my quibbles in this. I, I always could have done without. You know, I could have done with him just saving Lois's life and not having to run. You know, I didn't think he had to have the dramatic scene of her of her death you know and his reaction to it I don't think it ha- you really needed that for the movie I would have been happy with him just saving her life you know in a dramatic and fun way you know that I think that would have been more the you know I don't know I think I mean I imagine there's been a lot of people sort of groaning over the whole turning the world backwards thing and even as a kid I was like well wait if you just turn the world backwards wouldn't just skyscrapers collapse it would you wouldn't go back in time <laughs> it's not well, like a clock you know it's not like a clock where my... you start wor- wor- working the hands backwards and they start moving backwards it's just so I don't know if they were just trying to say he went so fast and the world turning in the other way was just sort of a representation of a time. representation. Go, you know, that, like the calendar pages flying off, you know, as you right. advance or go back in time. And, but, you know, I just, I didn't need, I didn't need that much drama. It, I, I just don't think it needed that, you know. I think it would have been, and then when he is saving people's life, he's just sort of dicking around. He saves Jimmy Olsen's life. And then, while the dam is exploding, <laughs> he's hanging out with Jimmy Olsen saying, Hey, kid, take some pictures while you're up here. So super- See those people drowning yeah. down there? Wah! Make sure to get that shot. <laughs> you got your zoom lens on, son? Be careful now. See you later. I was just like, what the hell are you dicking around for, Superman? And then, even... And here's something we talked about off air a few days ago or last week or something. But... There's this whole thing that uh, it's in the case, uh, it's in the extended version, but with, the, with this whole subtext of Luther's bought up all this land and he's driven some Indians off their native land and they <laughs> and they have no water now. You know, we have no water. I love this. And so, so Superman, you know, the dam bursts and the water's flowing towards this Indian village. So he tumbles some boulders down and blocks the water, but you know, the water's still splashing around it and. All the Indians in the village are like, Yahoo! Water! And they, you know, as the water trickles into their village and they're separating, they're separating, celebrating, and jumping up and down, and yay! And your point was, 
It's not like they're going to keep that water. Yeah, they're not going to let you keep it. They're as soon as they the get dam. the dam yeah. fixed, you're screwed all over yeah. you. What the hell are you so happy about? You have some desert that got wet a little bit. Ooh. But even so, even if they were going to keep it and they were going to live happily ever after, Superman turns the world backwards and then they're back into their world of hurt and shit. So what are you going <laughs> to, you know? Come on, Superman. You know, okay, so... So you saved Lois, La- Lois Lane's life at the expense of a lot of American Indians. Yeah, real nice, Superman. Well, not, you know, there's so many things. They're not going to let them keep it. I always kind of imagine that, uh, you know, the very next day Superman was out there fixing the dam at super speed. So the water was right back off the next day, you right. know what I mean? Yep. But also, you know, they get screwed because then in the, the theatrical cut, none of that shit makes the movie. Right. There's some, yeah. <laughs> their plight is ever seen well these but even native the, american they, actors got paid you know they right. got their union scale or whatever well then you know what i love is in this version that the extra length version watch the part where lois drops the chief off and it cracks me up because i know it probably wasn't intentional but she seems so completely insincere she goes yeah. uh I promise, Chief, me and my friends are going to do everything we can to help you. And he says whatever he says, you know, thank you, Miss Lane, or whatever. And she's like, okay, bye. And she says it just like that and drives off. Like, she's like, yeah, fuck that shit. Yeah. And drives well, she off is, like, well, you'll never hear from us again. She is kind of a tabloid writer, you know. She's known for her, you know, all her, um, you know, there's a whole running gag of where she'll read off some you know, lurid byline about, you know, rapist, uh, you know, and Perry White will look over her shoulder and there's only one P in rapist, you know, or something like that. And, you know, they they catch a a bad misspelling and, you know, so there's a joke that she's a reporter, but she's horrible at spelling and and that she writes all the tabloid type stories for for the Daily Planet. So, so, so maybe, yeah, she probably is kind of insincere. You know, she's Lois is very Lois's character is very self-absorbed. She's so sub, self-absorbed that she's not going to settle for a man except for Superman. It's like, okay, so Superman, okay, I'll take Superman, but everybody else is just sort of a slave in in her in her service, you know. She will just casually, you know, make somebody else do her job or do something for you know whatever she's just you know especially Clark she's just abusing that poor sap through the whole movie so she's kind of, it's funny because that's usually the characters that are like that in movies are male so she mm-hmm. sort of turns it and 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 Clark and Superman are the like quiet sensitive type and Lois is the brash loud you know driven I've never really thought of that, 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 like, the dynamic in this movie between Superman and Lois almost has, like, the traditional movie gender roles reversed. All right, am I sounding like a stupid college gender <laughs> studies class yet? But, yeah, it is, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's, She's doing everything but chomping on a cigar in this. You know, she could she could be chomping on a cigar and you would... Although, she's, does she smoke? She does smoke in this, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Because he says yep. he shouldn't smoke, and then he's like... Well, she's like, yeah, I know lung cancer. He's like, well, no, not yet, thank goodness. 
I like pink very much, Lois. <laughs> uh, All right, I got, uh, I got uh, one. Uh, I got one for you. This cracked me up. I don't know that I ever caught this before. Actually, okay. Scotty caught this, Ooh. and I was like, "Oh my god, that's hysterical!" All right, if I understand this right, and I'm pretty darn sure that I do. <laughs> okay, the whole reason that Luther has to go back in and and do the whole missile thing twice, right? Right. Is because Otis fucked up the first one. Now, Luther only needs one of these missiles. Only one of them is essential to his plan. So the one that Otis puts in the incorrect coordinates, we're assuming is the one that's headed for New Jersey, right? Right. Because it's it just a random number and it just happened to be New Jersey. Yeah. Right. So the whole reason that they have to do it a second time and, you know, they do it where, where Luther and Otis are together and Miss Testmacher does the coordinates is because, you know, they need to get it right. By the way, where, where the hell did he come up with a house, you know, to, to be driving that house <laughs> yeah. wide load truck down. That's always that's always drove me crazy. I can understand that they maybe they came to the scene with the ambulance in the beginning part, but where did they suddenly get a house on wheels for the second attempt? But anyway, okay, so in that part they you know they, they're holding up the, the guys and Miss Teschmacher climbs up over the side of the bridge and she goes in and she does the coordinate thing. Never realized this before. She doesn't put the right fucking coordinates in either. Because the coordinates are 38, 67, 11, and 7. Now, you watch that scene. She puts in numbers that don't remotely resemble that, and she closes it up and she leaves. So <laughs> that missile wasn't going to the same place either. It's it's minor, but I, you know, when he caught it, he said, did she put in the right numbers? And I, I looked and I was like, oh, that's hysterical. You know, it, it suddenly, I never caught it before, but it is very funny when you see it. I mean, I'm sure that they didn't expect people to super analyze it like like we have over the years, but I think that's, <laughs> that's hysterical. That one was going to like Canada or something. Honeywell. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's about all I got. Other, well, actually, there is one other thing. Yes. Well, when Jor-El is schooling. Clark in the Fortress of Solitude you know and they go on their little quest you know and they're flying through space and and Marlon Brando's doing his speech and everything he mentions that 12 years are gonna pass that seems like an awfully long time for Clark to be gone and have to come back and like reacclimate. I mean God only knows what could have happened during that 12 years, you know? And it's just always really, that's always stood out to me that that's a long time for him to have been gone away and then have to come back. And there, there's a whole lot of stuff he'd basically have to get re-educated on. Or, you know, well, Earth. Yeah, he's he's also of superior intellect, too. So maybe Jor-El was mon- had a crystal that monitored TV and kept him up on the news and current events and stuff like that possibly I'll buy that I'll buy that excellent I can explain them all I can make all your questions go away (laughs) all those little itching continuity things that keep you up at night 
hands clawing at your eyes and tossing and turning and wet the bed. I'll make that all go away. For 50 bucks. <laughs> I am the continuity king. Hey, and this and I'm insane! E- <laughs> this movie's even educational because I, I learned the word insurrection from this movie. Ah, even before people just thought it was something that Star Trek made up. Yep. <laughs> Well, that's all I got, I think. I just, I love this movie. I could go on and on and on and on, but I think we're just about at time, don't you? Yep, join us next time, and we'll be back to our regular Comics Monthly Monday format with some Superman family, we'll have some Swamp Thing, and we'll have some Walking Dead, and even some views maybe on on the possible upcoming Walking Dead TV show. Ooh. Hey, and also uh, be sure to you know, come back next week for our fourth week show where Movie Marathon Month continues and we'll be talking uh, about a few more movies that we consider to be neglected, underappreciated, that sort of thing. And we'll be doing a special mystery movie that we're going to be talking yes. about. All I can say is it's a movie we both like. Oh, yeah. Just like all the rest of the movies this month. So, there you go. So, you come back. Y'all come back now, I hear. Oh, I can't believe I said that. I'm cutting that shit out. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.